Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Back in the saddle with Vin and Z. Today, we're talking about life lessons. And Z, man, it's been such a crazy two weeks. So we spent some time together in L.A. And so much happened during that time. It started out, we were sitting down together. You got a call that one of your good friends had died just out of the blue. Someone that you were very close to. Later that week, you found out about another death. And then someone that you used to tour with back in the day, uh, the rapper Shock G, ended up dying that same week. So it was just these punches to the gut, three in short succession. And I know it was tough for you because uh, I could see it. Uh, I I was there when you got the call about uh, your uh, friend from Senegal. And... It ripped you apart for an instant. I mean, you composed yourself, you got back, did what you had to do, but but I could see the devastation, and this was on top of a generally stressful period that we've been going through. So that was hard. And then I heard your voice on the phone when you found out that Shock G had died, and, and you were talking to me, and it was just some mix of... Uh, of sadness, but also maybe acceptance. Uh, you mentioned that you'd been waiting for the call. You know that he'd chosen a certain lifestyle that was destructive, that would likely lead to a shorter lifespan on this earth. And so all of this came together, difficult to deal with. And towards the end of that week, uh, last week, you went out to Shock's funeral and asked me to come along. And it, I decided to come. Uh, I was on my way back. I uh, thought that it would be easy enough to spend a few days with you, uh, to see this production, to meet some some legends in the industry, and uh, just get a feel for a world that that I haven't been a part of. So we got on the plane together, which by itself was interesting. I didn't realize that you'd ever been on a plane, even though you talk about it. Or at least recently. I mean, it seems like you've got your own cocoon in uh, West L.A. And uh, and your home life. Uh, and you've carved out an existence that allows you to live without venturing out to other areas, without dealing with crowds of people. So we go to the airport. We're dealing with security. We're watching just legions of unfit, unhealthy people walking by. (laughs) We're talking about what happens that allows people to get into such a diseased state. Got on the plane, had some good downtime. And then get to the, uh, the city, Tampa, where this is taking place. And from my standpoint, it was incredible to see because one, I got to see a different side of you. I wouldn't even say it was a different side, but it was a different piece of you, a different part of your history where you'd been touring around with this group, Digital Underground, in the 90s. You'd been 
security, which meant that you had to make sure that money was taken care of, that there were no run-ins with the law, that people were physically safe, that they were doing the job that they needed to, to do. Uh, so they were getting up on stage. And there was a pretty big difference in age. So at the time, you were early, mid-30s. The rest of this crew was somewhere between 18 and 25. So you thought of them as kids or, you know, maybe younger nieces and nephews. And as I watched you, even when we first got to the hotel, we came in. There were people just elated to see you. The people you hadn't seen in 30 years and and they come up and they jump up and they're like, hey, Z, man, great to see you. This is incredible. You you look fantastic. It's been such a long time. And there were some grown men who were coming up to you, throwing their arms around you, talking to you like they'd known you their entire life. When they hadn't seen you in 30 years and some of them, the last time they saw you, they were 10-year-old kids or 7-year-old kids. They didn't really know you, but whatever you said or you did that they saw left this impression that spanned three decades. So that, that was amazing to see. It was amazing to see people who were a little bit older than that, maybe in their 50s now, who reflected on the time they spent with you, how you kept them in line, how you were always talking about health, so even back then, you were the same person. You were into health. You were into fitness. You were into the mechanics and the engineering and the science of living well. You were on that mission to, to help people live better, choose more intelligent paths. And people appreciated that. Uh, so they shared stories of how they'd evolved or you'd gotten them on the right track or, or bits of wisdom that they'd picked up from the time they'd spent with you. There were a lot of crazy stories about life on the tour, about the various characters that, that you had to deal with back in the day. And what I found most interesting about this, one was the reaction that people had to you, where it was just so much adoration, maybe so much respect. Even though 30 years had passed, it was like no time had elapsed at all. There was still that that connection, which was as fresh as it had ever been. That was amazing to see. And seeing your reaction was also amazing. I feel like the time we spent together in Tampa revived you, it rejuvenated you. And it's a certain human commerce that gives something back. I mean, just being in the presence of people whose lives you've changed and helped shape and seen them grow and seen them succeed. And, and you take so much pride in that. I, I, I saw you throwing your arms around a man who's in his early 50s and looking at him with tears in your eyes and saying, man, I, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of everything you've done. He's, he was in a, a rap group back in the 80s and he had a very successful career. And he was just so, so happy to be back in, in your presence. I mean, he was beaming. And it was story after story like that this entire weekend. The family of the deceased took great comfort in your words, in the connection you had to shock. 
in the stories you could tell about his life and the fact that you never stopped trying even though you knew that he was going he was taking the wrong path you, you never stopped trying to to get him back and get him straight and they appreciated that and they they invited you to the services where it was just family they invited you to speak at the funeral they wanted the world to know what you saw in their brother and in their son that he, he wasn't just a man who who died because of drugs he was a man who was incredibly generous who cared about the people around him who wouldn't go back on his word and and he was someone you believed in and they wanted that truth to come out and so i saw the impact this had on you and it just it was tough at times certainly it was very emotional and even for myself i was there and i was picking up on these emotions and even though i didn't have a personal relationship with shock i was tearing up at times because i would see his mother or his brother or other people who'd known him well who were just broken who were asking why this had to happen and of course you knew him very well and and a part of you must have been broken but a part of you accepted what had happened and another part of you was brought back to life by everyone who turned out at this event and just being able to see the success that they they've subsequently had the appreciation they had for the impact you provided for the way you were able to shape their narratives their frame of mind contribute in whatever way you did to their eventual success see them grow up into into fathers into people who've given back to their community who've been able to inspire the next generation because now they're part of the older generation in hip-hop it did it did wonders for you. I, I mean, it it freed you in some ways. It it revitalized you. It was a set of interactions that was so life giving and energy giving, unlike a lot of what we experience on a day to day basis. I mean, a lot of what we go through in life is just extremely draining. We're dealing with anxiety. We're dealing with urgency. We're dealing with people complaining constantly, and it becomes exhausting. But this was something that recharged you, it revitalized you, which I thought was beautiful. And if I think about this, there's so much that we could talk about. I mean, we could take this conversation in many directions, but maybe I'll just throw out a couple of ideas that you can run with. If we go back to the theme of life lessons and what I observed over this weekend, part of it is about what's important to you, what defines success. You had no need to be center stage, to be one of the people who had their name out in the lights, who were content to work behind the scenes. And the real value was seeing the fruit of your effort, seeing the blossoming of the seeds that you planted years ago and the impact that you've had on people's lives. So that's, uh, that's one lesson that I came away with. Another, on an unrelated topic, it goes back to our time at the airport. You just see the extraordinary energy it takes to get through life. I mean, you kind of compare a time when we were together with family and friends in Tampa, just able to relax, 
be very at ease in others' company versus the madness that we go through on a day-to-day basis uh, where we're trying to get through security at the airport. We're complaining people are unhealthy. They're grossly overweight. You, you look at this and you say, this is no way to live. So there's got to be some lesson around health. And then you see the impact of that health immediately when you think about the people that you've lost in the past couple of weeks. I mean, we don't take care of ourselves. We die young. That's something that's that's front and center in my mind. So I'll hand it to you, Z. I mean, wherever you want to start, you could run with those lessons. You could run with something else that you've observed. But, but I think our audience would be interested in in your perspective over the last couple of weeks and, and really what it brought to life for you. Well, Vin, I would say, for one, I'm really, really glad that you made the trip with me and uh, were able to witness what I witnessed, just my life on display over three decades. And what... I am in life is, is very flat. As I've said before, I'm into sameism. What I mean by that is not just dogmatically following routine, but I've always been consistent. I like being the person that is the the trend is predictable. If you do this, you get that out of the way will way formula. So you got to see the results of that. Yeah, it was overwhelming. As soon as we drove up to the hotel, people I hadn't seen in 30 years, I had couldn't even recognize some of them because they were kids the last time I saw them. Then when I would see their eyes, I would look in their eyes, I could see 30 years wiped away, just looking in their eyes. And little events, and all of them shared events in the few nights at the hotel till literally 2, 3 in the morning, they were telling these stories and they were coming to see me, and I, I was sad that, that I lost my friend. Uh, shock was my friend. I was never big on the entertainment part of things. That, that never moved me. I did <clears throat> enjoy sometimes the shows, the energies of the shows, but it was never, I never enjoyed it to the point where it, it took me away. I was always present. That was part of my job and part of my temperament. But I got to know him as a human being, away from the lights, from away from the empty glare of fandom, and the things that go on when nobody's around. And I see these, when we got there, and I see these young people who are now in their 40s and 50s, and they still look at me the same way they did then. And they each want to share with me a story. And every time I listen, all the way into my bones, I could feel something happen in my bones. Literally in my marrow. That I never set out to teach them a lesson. I never set out for them to acknowledge what I did. I just was doing my duty and being myself with them. I wanted to take care of them let them do their shows, give them an example of of, an, of a life you could live without 
this negative these these negative inputs this endless pursuit of notoriety or the validation by other people take care of your health your well-being take this moment in the light as stardom as i was saying with my buddy greg i knew him when no one was around quiet nights things that he did for people, did for me, without ever looking for acknowledgement. And that's why he became my friend, because that's where we understood each other. I never did what I did to be acknowledged. I just did what I do. Yet a- another type of bonus or gift that came from that was the hugs of the, the young men and young women, as you saw, that all came to me. And I could feel the gratitude coming from them that was actually it was more overwhelming than the grief of losing my friend and yeah I cried I I cried till I had no more tears and I cried because yeah I guess everybody looks at the commerce of humanity in different ways there are different types of wealth and I'm not materially wealthy by any means but I'm a billionaire when it comes to human commerce I'm a multi-billionaire I don't know who could tell stories like that that people would come to you and say hey thank you and my formula was a formula that was given to me by my mentors and teachers it's just for the sake of do the best you can do the best you can and it gave me something back that rejuvenated me, recharged me. Because sometimes in the monotony of the drill, the texture is lost. You just show up, do what you do every day, you just show up. And we've moved through a world over these decades, the three decades since that, maybe the four decades since I was in the military, the five decades since I was you know, a college guy in high school and stuff like that, teams, um, moving forward in this journey. And I see the change outside of that journey as I try to follow the middle path. I would say the world has changed in certain ways. Certain ways things are the same, but in other ways they've changed. The character of people has greatly diminished. When we were on the plane and I was observing, I I don't crave travel anymore because I've traveled so much. I just love being at home. Farthest I want to go is to work at home. That's pretty much it. That's not because I I, I didn't enjoy travel. I enjoyed it, but now I'm enjoying another part of life. And I've been around the world uh, many times. So I don't feel a longing or like I missed anything. But going through the horde of hordes of people, I felt like I was on the, a cattle car of dysfunction. This idea, this extreme gross idea of of entitlement and um, the idea that you can impose whatever your needs are upon the common masses of people and they must be accommodated, that the average person seems to think it was it was very uh, sickening to see that. It was the opposite of the feeling we had where the people were showing gratitude and displaying by their actions and behaviors. 
And there were so many people who had petty issues <clears throat> that they felt were grand enough that all should stop to accommodate them. As I went through the airport, the sheer number of people that were having some sort of aid rendered to them to get through the airport. Now, I've traveled extensively in crowded airports over my whole lifetime. I've had jobs that required me to travel uh, every throughout the week or all over the world. And, and I never saw this, maybe because I'd been away, I just stepped away and it was very bizarre. <clears throat> how things have just regressed. The common level of anger, bitterness, pushiness, me-ism. It, it was just another reason not to want to travel, another reason to want to hunker down. There were people who had all manners of health issues, elective health issues that were being accommodated. Different types of anxiety, different types of, 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 of pets and things like that that they demanded be on planes. People complaining that the seats of the plane were not big enough and yelling and wanting everybody to stop what they were doing to adjust that. People that didn't want mask on and people who wanted the, the mask off and. Uh, just on and on with no consideration of their fellow human being that's kind of on the same plight they're on. Can we just go and come and be okay? People can't just come and go for some reason. And I was watching this and I was saying, this is a very challenging thing to observe. There was a woman, a 300 pound plus woman who was complaining about the seats on the plane and that no one had accommodated her. And then she had a therapist online with the speaker off talking to her therapist because she also had anxiety. And on top of that, she had a dog in a purse that she didn't want to put in the purse. And everyone was trying to accommodate her. Everybody was trying to accommodate. So you got a dog in a purse on a plane. Your weight is of such that it will affect the ability for the plane to fly. See, people don't understand this. There's physics and there's foolishness. I've talked about this before, and, and, and we'll go back to other points, but then I've talked about this before. There is the basic equation of flight that you can apply this equation to everything in life. That equation says, if lift plus thrust is greater than load and drag, the aircraft, will, or the craft will fly. Anything will fly. If lift and thrust is greater than load and drag. So every time you get on an airplane, they weigh the airplane. That's why your luggage is so critical. What you have in your luggage. The average size of a person is calculated into the cubic feet of that seat on the plane. Because that airframe dealing with our atmosphere, 
at sea level will lift off the ground at a certain speed it will take flight if it weighs a certain amount. If it weighs more than that, it has to go faster to overcome the drag and load. This isn't personal. It isn't something made up. It isn't a political agenda. It's birds flying. You can stop a bird from flying by simply putting salt on its tail. That's right. You can take a bird, put salt on its tail, put a pebble on its foot. It cannot fly because the load and drag is greater than the lift and thrust. And so when you get on an airplane and you're complaining about the plane, that's because you've exceeded the load ability of that aircraft to take flight. Another problem. If you get on an aircraft with other people, you block the aisle, you have a dog running loose, and you're mentally ill, and there's an emergency on that aircraft, you have now put innocent people lives in danger. You have damaged families, you have changed the trajectory of generations of people because they could possibly lose a family member in a minor aircraft accident because they can't get around you and if they do in your mental state you may harass them or your dog or something I don't know may attack I don't know what what's all this going on I just want to get on a flight I just want to land safely there were numerous mentally ill people I mean so many people were on some sort of antipsychotic antidepressant anti-anti anti-anti-anti I mean, so you're literally on the cattle car of the damned. So you sit there and you just want to go. There were fights breaking out. There were all manners of things. Even the pilot had to adjust the radio frequency so the woman in front of me could talk to her therapist while she was in flight. So if he were to get an in-flight emergency call, there was a warning that may compromise his ability to pay attention to what he was doing. So this is where we've gotten in the world. The people who have elective issues, they've chosen lifestyles that have undermined their health and well-being. And it's your right to do that. But sure, it's your right to do what you do impose upon the path of my life. And I think not. I think we should leave each other alone. Just leave other people alone. And if that means you stay home, you have a universe in your own mind, in your own space, and you can do and be whatever you want. You can, um, you can destroy your health. You can take all the pharmaceutical drugs you like. And you can have a companion monkey or whatever, companion slug, whatever you need. Just stay home. Would that be so wrong? Do you need to start a dot-com, a movement, a political action community? Should we change the way we speak? Should we change the way we smile until it just fits you just right? Many people think that's the way it should go. We should endlessly tweak and adjust all of society to accommodate individual whims of the moment. 
it is uh, really a strange observation. I have no desire to be in the midst of any of that. I would rather drive across country at this point if, if I could avoid dealing with some of that that just display of the worst part of humanity. It's truly a shit show. And it's not interesting. And we've learned to talk like this. We've learned to normalize this thinking. What would be wrong if you kept whatever your behavioral issues are or health issues to yourself? Or you accommodate those things. How about all those people pool together and create their own airline, right? It would be a circus plane of some sort. They could get an old military C-141 and whatever you want to do goes on there. Um, I'm just throwing that out there because it's, I, I don't know what to think about it because you see, this isn't sustainable. We can't impose the low bar consciousness onto everyone else. Every cause, every t-shirt slogan, everything is, 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 is pushed to the front. It's like when the plane lands and you hear very clearly the pilot say, could you remain in your seat until we get to the uh, gate? And everybody's standing in the hallway pushing forward. There are no doors open. You can't go anywhere. We're all stuck on this can together. And if you are of a physical condition where you have some sort of malady or dog or something, or you, you block the aisle, then you're holding everyone else up, but there's no narrative for that. That's okay. That's okay. It's not okay to say, hey, we're all kind of stuck here together. Let's take turns leaving the plane. There's no narrative for that anymore. Hey. The pilot just said, sit your ass down until the plane stops. Then, you know, they're pulling luggage out and I tried to sit still, then luggage is hitting you in the head and, and you just got to ignore this and, it's, and then somebody's demanding that you help them with their luggage. No, no, I, 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 I'm a, I consider myself a kind person, but I just really, can I just stay out of your way, right? Why did you bring all this stuff on the plane and the, the point where you yourself need help. You need help hoisting it up above my head. I just want to sit down. So we live in a world now where every manner of madness we're trying to accommodate. We're pushing each other over, fighting to get to the front of the line that goes off the cliff. Imagine that. You're fighting to be the first off the cliff. And everybody's fighting and jockeying for this thing. And each person is waving a flag or a bumper sticker announcing their particular issue. And it's more important than any other issue in the world. And then there's no end to it. I was listening to a radio broadcast and they were upset that doctors and scientists weren't making accommodations for certain elective physical maladies that people would impose upon themselves and that the world wasn't understanding enough and they were pushing 
for more acceptance and understanding. Look, acceptance and understandings have nothing to do with the physics of human commerce. I can accept that you wish to damage your health. I can accept that you are mentally unstable. That doesn't mean I have to accommodate it. I am just trying to get through the day. I am burdened by my own daily issues that do not require me burdening you. Uh, a dog was attacking a child in the airport. And uh, Dave just mentioned that a dog was harassing people in a restaurant and the people being harassed had to apologize. You see, this is things have flipped over. Look, I, I enjoy my pets occasionally in my life, but I do not wish to impose their behavior, the risk of bite attack on my neighbor. So we don't even think anymore about the idea of kindness towards you, thy neighbor. Like that's gone. I don't care about your personal life. I'm not against anybody. But nothing in my life requires you to accommodate me. So I was thinking about that while I was flying, that now we live in a world where everybody is expected to accommodate the whims of others. At what cost? So being there and looking back on 30 years when those children who are now adults with grandchildren and all sorts of things said, thank you, Z, for the lessons you shared with me. To feel the nostalgia of gratitude, the nostalgia of kindness, compassion, empathy, reverence, it really filled my heart that as bad as things were, there were remnants of these higher qualities of humanity. Take responsibility for yourself. Do not impose your whims of comfort onto another person because it is not sustainable. The more we degrade the world with our own whimsical desires, the harder it is to live in this world. When I worked and fulfilled my duties to the record companies and all that, I had no desire to be in the light because people didn't pay tickets to, current, to concerts and things to see me. I wanted to make sure everything went smoothly with the people and their lives. And I was greatly rewarded over the weekend. Greatly rewarded with the with, with, with the love that was shown to me as you witnessed. And it reinforced what I'm doing because sometimes, like I said, my nose is just down into what I'm doing, just doing the best I can every day. I don't look left or right. I don't seek acknowledgement, validation, praises, pats on the back. Firstly, I do what I do because I feel okay inside and it gives me peace of mind. I finish my day with peace and gratitude that I have done my best by everyone in my life. And I practice actionable love. Yet a bonus is when someone says thank you or shows gratitude or emulates that in any way and I feel 
just like a nice ray of sun piercing through the veil that invigorates me. And that's all I need. And I move on. I don't need more of that. I felt like it was actually too much. It was overwhelming. I told every one of the kids, don't thank me. You've already thanked me many times over just letting me know you're doing well. You've returned any favor that I did to you, anything gift I bestowed upon you. You've returned it many times over. And one of the kids was talking about how one of the executives wanted to be in the light even after Greg had died. He wanted to push his agenda of himself. And they were all protesting and they, they didn't like what this manager was doing in terms of the program of the services. And they said, Z, you should say something. You know, you saved our lives and you did that and you knew him better than anybody. You should speak at this particular event where they had many celebrities speaking on uh, over a video chat or whatever they call it. And I was listening to these celebrities. It was just empty platitudes that you get from empty people. This is great. They, they spoke in a way that you speak about that business in a very um, single-dimensional way. They didn't really know the guy. They liked his music, and they, 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 they had phony smiles and all that. And they said, Z, you should really be the main guy. And I said, no. I said, look at the people doing that. Look what, Think about his food. Think about their behavior and their egos as if it were food. You look at them bent over, crippled, barely able to breathe, looking years older than they were, many of them with the grim reaper hovering over their shoulder. And I said to the kids, now look at me. Think about what I'm eating. I'm eating devotion, love, gratitude, gratefulness. That's what I'm eating. They're eating megalomania, egocentrism, narcissism and look what it's done for them and look what it's done for me so do you want to eat what they're eating or do you want to eat what i'm eating be healthy i've always told you be healthy so i don't need my name on anything i don't need shallow praises from people that have no no connection to my life i'm eating i'm eating the love I'm eating the celestial divine soup. And it's given back to me an extended stay on this earth, a quality of health that is superior to most. So I'm eating what's good for me. And as I said to them, eat what's good for you. Abandon the ego. Abandon narcissism. Abandon those things. And you will be healthier. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, not only do I follow you, I want to reiterate that point because it's so profound. Just look at what you're eating. Are you eating the ego, the desire to control, envy, or are you eating gratitude, duty, reverence? And you see the effect immediately. I saw exactly what you're talking about that you have some people who look like they may keel over and die at any moment. There are others like you, and it wasn't just you, 
There were some others there who followed the program, followed the healthy lifestyle, approached life with a different attitude. And the vigor, the health, there was absolutely no comparison. It was the difference between life and death. And that, I think, is a point that we often lose as we go through this world. When we externalize situations, and a lot of times one might think, oh, it's about this other person. How dare they do this? How dare they treat me this way? I've got to show them. Or I'm going to impose my will on the world. I'm going to control it contorted into something that meets my whims or I'm entitled and everyone's got to treat me a certain way. And it's all about what the rest of the world can do to accommodate me. And where we get it wrong is we don't realize the cost of that. So oftentimes people may say, yeah, that's selfish behavior. So why do do you want to be selfish? It's just not a nice thing to do. It's immoral. But there isn't really a fundamental reason to tell you not to do that. I mean, yeah, maybe you're not being nice, but if it benefits you, who the hell cares? That to me isn't the answer. The answer to this puzzle is when we try and treat the rest of the world as something that can satisfy us. And we look for that validation. We look for other people singing our praises We try and get everyone to fall in line and do exactly what we want them to do. It has a direct impact on our health. It destroys us. And it's not just mental, it's physical. I mean, of course, you might think, okay, mentally, if I run around all the time and I'm angry and I'm anxious and I'm entitled and dismissive, yeah, I don't have peace of mind. Maybe I develop psychological problems. Maybe I can't sleep. But it feeds into every aspect of being. It turns people into diseased human beings. It's literally a ticking time bomb. I mean, we see some of these people, whether it's the ones who came out to the funeral and had spent a lifetime trying to control the environments around them and get them get more praise and more fame for themselves, or it's people that we see in the airport. Now, I can't comment on their mental state. I don't know what they're going through, uh, but... Certainly some of it must be related to anxiety, urgency. When we live with this mindset, it kills us. And it kills us in every single way. And that to me was the most interesting part of this past weekend. Uh, I mean, it was seeing the difference between life and death. When your standards are about praise and about validation and about all the things that we can't directly control and we can't sustain and that are empty. Uh, There's no substance behind it. There's no energetic exchange. That leads to death. That leads to a life where either you're going to die early or you can't even enjoy life because you're physically and mentally compromised. If you take the other route and follow the opt-out path that we've been talking about, And step away from all of that. Step away from the need for other people to affirm your choices. For other people to accommodate you. Just focus on you. Just do the best that you can. Just find relationships that 
that energize, that give you back, back love and support, that add some light to your life. When you focus on your duty, when you focus on having the greatest impact possible in whatever your chosen field is, when you give up yourself truly without holding anything back, you, you open yourself up to life, you get a completely different outcome. I mean, you know, you get the mental satisfaction of seeing lives that you change. You get the emotional satisfaction of going into a room and you've got people who haven't seen you in three decades. I mean, three decades, Z, it's, it's a huge amount of time. It's so long. My kids can't even conceive it. I've got small kids. They can't even think in terms of that time frame. But those three decades passed like no time had passed at all because the impact that you'd had, the way you'd touch people meant that you were still fresh in their minds and they still approach you with, with gratitude and with love. And as I mentioned at the outset, that's transformative. That in my mind is what keeps you going. That's where you get your energy from. And when you've got the 12 or 14 or 16 hour days, whatever it is, when you've got the stresses of a business to run, a family to take care of, a world to change through the project that we're working on. That's what gives back life, man. I mean, that's what gives back energy. And I think that is the most powerful observation to come out of this weekend. I mean, we follow this opt-out path and not because we want to be cool and we want to be different, but because it's a path of life and it's a path of restoration. And honestly, there's no other way to live because if you don't follow it, you you end up either killing yourself or you're in some kind of limbo, some kind of living death. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Z, but that's really what I took away. I was inspired hearing that um, and thinking about, again, it was it was really heavy emotionally. And so I'm as, as I'm talking to you, as usual, I'm clearing up. You know, while I looked at my, my friend's corpse, thought about all that, heard the emptiness of the celebrity. Um, and then I thought about the love. The next day, I went to see my new granddaughter. And more tears, more emotions, beyond lifting of spirit. And so I was emotionally drained coming back. And I think about what you just said, and I want to finish with this for all of the opt-outs. We often talk about diet, nutrition, exercise, and so on. I want to take that to a more quantum level. As the kids said, as I left them the other night, and I said, when they were upset with the behavior of somebody, I said, think about what I'm eating, like I told you 30 years ago, eat healthy. Eating isn't just food. Ask yourself, does your happiness require someone else to be sad? Does your success require another person's failure? Does your laughter require another person's tears? Does your self-assessment requires on who you're standing on top of or who's standing on top of you? 
So you can look at all of that as a pyramid of celestial nourishing. I'm happy for the happiness of others. I called one of the kids who was a very troubled kid when I went out with him years ago. He did a song called I Got Five on it or something. Uh, and he was a mess when he was a kid. And he had did really well and I left his company again in tears. He had turned his life around and he was a good man and I sent him a message and I said, yuck, I'm so glad that you made it through your youth and you learned something and you're doing well. And he told me about his wife and he wanted to bring her in to deal with her health and it, I, it just gave me this such a fulfilling sensation in my body like I had eaten the best meal. So everyone, all of us opt out, ask what feeds you? When we look at the news, how often do you hear stories that is relying upon another person's suffering so that you can feel good about yourself? Look at the politics of the day, how the condemnation of one group represents the adulation of another group. The country itself, the concept of a country is falling apart. If your neighbor suffers and you and there's failing, how does that make your life better? This myth of patriotism, you wave a flag, you put on a bumper sticker on your car and you curse others and you hope that they fail but you haven't done any better in your life. You're not any, you haven't moved forward at all, but you hope that they can't move or that they, their system, their system of living is undermined. How does that, what are you eating? What toxins are you eating? And if you eat those toxins, how would that benefit your health? So you see these people crippled with health issues, crippled with emotional issues, crippled by anger, by envy, by avarice crippling them. And they're eating it like it's M&Ms. They're eating it like it's microwave popcorn. They're eating it like it's phytoestrogen. They're eating it like it's mon uh, maraschino cherries. There is nothing good in that. Wish for the well-being of all beings. Find the quiet peace and joy when you look out into life and people are doing well and stay out of their way. If you cannot uplift another person, if you cannot support or tonify what's going on in life, leave them alone. Take no joy in demeaning or diminishing another person. Don't interfere with another person's rewards of life. Don't stifle it. It's like nowadays we uplift war criminals. We talked in the earlier podcast about the rise of the anti-hero. There was a time, even 30 years, when a hero sacrificed for the greater good of their fellow being. Even if you didn't agree, this person was willing to sacrifice, to suffer the consequence of their belief, their idea, or their hope. Now you don't do that. It's the opposite. We worship people that have done nothing but enrich themselves at the cost of others. We change the language. We change the size of clothing to accommodate. 
We make we normalize dysfunction. That's the that's the down part. But for those of us who are opting out, let's think about this. Don't try to do things that bring you fame and notoriety. Do things that satisfy your soul quietly. You can never satisfy other people's hunger and lust for entertainment. So how about just satisfy yourself? Be at peace. It's what I thought about when I was on the trip and people say, hey, you're gonna travel here? Travel there? I feel like a character out of The Wizard of Oz. You know, there's no place like home. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get home and home is where your heart is. So why don't you build your heart so that becomes the citadel of your peace, your tranquility. Wherever you are, let there be no place like home. Yeah, that's it, Z. Uh, very powerful week that we had. Very powerful description that you've provided. And let's shift the focus. Let's shift the focus away from the external, away from relative comparison, which is a false foundation, away from am I doing better than someone else, in which case we lose all sense of the absolute. We could both be groveling in the mud, but if I'm a little bit higher up, then for a moment I can feel good about myself. That's no way to live. That's not going to sustain us. That's not going to nourish us. So what I took away, Z, from this last week or so is to focus on the activities that are life-sustaining, that are energizing. And to do that, we ground ourselves. And we ground ourselves in the same behaviors that we've talked about since we started this podcast. The open-heartedness, the gratitude, the ability to live by your own standards without the need to control others, without the need to get someone to pat you on the back. And you do that, you get, maybe if you're lucky, situations like what you just went through. You show up at a place years later, and it's just a beautiful thing to see, all the lives that you've touched. And that's how we live, and that's how we live on forever. And I'll close with just something from the Vedas. It is said in the Vedas that one has truly lived a divine life when they die with many friends. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.